Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. in for another wonderful conversation. In front of me today is Dora Tashakor, who uh, seems to be, on a good day, the director of uh, Tasha Care, uh, a growing allied health business here in Melbourne. Welcome. Thank you, Cathy. Thank you for having me on. So when I um, asked you how you introduced you said yourself, you sort of said, oh, well, I'm the doer of all of the things. Is, is that really <laughs> the case? Um, sorry, it's not that I physically do everything, but um, <laughs> I, I see myself, uh, I guess, a, a component of the business where I can kind of be called upon to step in and help or, you know, support a structure or assist in a way. So um, I like introducing myself as that because, I, I don't know, it kind of humbles the, the nature of the role a little bit more. It makes me feel a bit more comfortable to say that this is what my role is. Yeah. And directors are a jack of all trades, but they've <laughs> probably got more mastery over those trades. But it does pull your thinking and your hands-on approach into all the nooks and crannies of the business. Definitely. That would be my experience. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the biggest um, learnings and skill set tools that it does grant you is being adaptable. So mm. even if you're not an expert in a specific topic, you might be called upon in that moment to react, respond or support. So it really teaches you how to think well and how to think quickly on the spot. Yeah, yeah. So founding director, all of these fun and games started in 2017 after you did a whole lot of research and development. I think your background is really, really relevant to your business story at this point. Yes, thank you. Um, so I've got a bit of a, a different story. Um, so typically uh, what you hear in the in the NDIS or disability sector is that someone might have been um, working in, in the sector as an OT or um you know, a social worker, they love what they do and they just wanted to kind of make it a little bit more themselves with their mission and vision and they would have started their own business. For me, um, it was a finding myself and a sense of purpose uh, journey. So I actually studied um, pharmacy. Uh, I'm a clinical pharmacist by trade. Um, and my, I guess my training and my um, my beginning, my start was in the, in the hospital sector. So I, I've worked in regional hospitals, um, the big metro hospitals, and I ended up and loved working at Monash towards the end of my pharmacy um, career. But one thing um, was always lacking in that I felt I needed to do more. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. Um, I just felt that I wasn't doing enough. And to be brutally honest, for the last six months of my, um, I guess, pharmacy career, I was driving to work almost in tears every day, feeling that 
I wasn't really using my time effectively. Even though I was going to work, I was doing what I was trained to do. I was seeing the patients that I needed to see and I was consulting with the, you know, the clinicians and the, the units. Um, what I've learned now, and I'm sorry, this is a really long-winded kind of explanation. <laughs> Thank you. What I've learned now is that I think for me, time is really the true currency of my life. And because I lost my dad quite early on in my journey, I feel like if I don't use every minute that I have, potentially I'm kind of losing out or wasting that time or that currency or that valuable effect that I have in my in my pocket. Um, and subconsciously, I felt that I wasn't doing what I needed to do um, because a lot of the time in the hospital, unfortunately, and this is to no fault of anyone's, it's a system barrier, uh, pharmacists find themselves at the end of the line where the last clinician to see a patient before they're discharged. And that process had become a me standing at a revolving door where I discharge a patient. I knew that they had some supports in the community, but not sufficient to the point where they'd be communicating. So especially clinician to clinician, specialist to GP or therapist. Um, and there was gaps. And these people were falling through the gaps and the more, um, I guess, disadvantaged or less advocacy skills this person had, the more likely they were to return to hospital. And I think by visually seeing this recurrently, I lost the hope in my sense of purpose in being a pharmacist, working in the hospital and, you know, the whole stereotypical thing that us allied health people do. We want to do what we do because we want to help people. We're not in it to make money. It's to help someone. So, I hadn't quite understood that. Um, I kept going on this journey of, you know, study more, study harder, become better, uh, but the feeling, the emptiness was still there. I even did my master's degree and I still felt the same. And um, my lovely husband, who's also a clinician, was starting up his own clinic and he said to me, hey, Nora, this was in 2015 towards the end, he said, why don't you come and sit on my reception, help me out, take some time out and Try and figure out what you want to do. What is it that you're missing? Um, and sitting on his reception desk for six months <laughs> was pretty boring, but it did give me a lot of time to think and reflect. And in my um, naivety, I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I know what the problem is. I'm going to start a business that's going to have a very extensive service offering where the workers or the support people in that structure are under the same umbrella and they have to communicate with each other. So they have unified goals. Um, and that was good, good and well, up until 2019 when um, we'd already launched the business. We had services all the way from nursing through to allied health, through to cleaning and gardening. But um, that feeling was starting to creep in again. Uh, and I had to kind of sit back and, and think about why that was, which I may say for the rest of the interview, sorry, because I, I just realised I've gone off on a tangent. But the I reason why... Like <laughs> Do you want me to continue? Okay. Um, so in 2019, the business was running really well. So we launched it in 2017. After six months of sitting on reception, um, I started to kind of do a lot of research into what were those, um, you know, disadvantaged kind of uh, communities or individuals in the community who I was seeing in the return um, kind of to hospital uh, bracket? Um, and I initially thought aged care uh, would be a great area to start because we often know as people age, they lose the capacity to be as independent as they once were and they're not very likely to reach out for help and sometimes they, they don't have access to the help. 
Um, so the service offering that I just mentioned was offered to um, the aged care sector, so people who wanted to stay at home through home care package um, uh, funding. But uh, while I was doing that, um, a lovely lady who was seeing uh, my husband was seeing um, through his business uh, approached me and said, look, why don't you offer this to people with disabilities? I mean, we also need help and we have the same kind of barriers and issues. So that that kind of that conversation really kind of gave me an ah moment where I thought, why not replicate the services and offer it to the second kind of demographic or those individuals who could benefit from it? But in 2019, um, that like I mentioned, that feeling started to creep in again. And I think when I really truly sat down and reflected, I realized that although the idea and the conception of the business around having a broad service offering, making sure everything's under the same umbrella, just like in the hospital system, because when people are in hospital, all the clinicians are um, communicating to each other, they're talking to each other, because all the, the history and the access points are under the same roof. But it was when it, when the person was going back into the community where, they, you know, they were seeing clinician A, clinician B, you know, the support worker C, and they're from different systems, different backgrounds, different organisations, and that's where the communication breakdown was happening. Um, so when uh, I guess I was reflecting on, yes, although conceptually that's a really good idea, uh, there's only one of me. And at that, that point in time, we had grown the, the business to um, 50 employees. So we had had substantial success. Um, but I don't think I was quite happy with the quality, being quite honest, because I'm not a specialist of everything. And being at the top, uh, I felt that I had to kind of have the policy, the procedures, and really truly understand it and know what's happening on the floor to be able to kind of be happy with the outcome that we were achieving. So we went back to the drawing board um, and we scrapped the, uh, I guess, the excess services, which honestly we didn't know enough about. And we went back to what I knew, which is allied health. Um, And we kind of, uh, like a chameleon, (laughs) redid everything and we decided to focus on one sector um, as opposed to have our therapists and our employees kind of have to navigate home care packages, uh, you know, Medicare, as well as um, the NDIS, which we had at that point just um, newly become approved to provide services through. And essentially since 2019 um, to today, we've just been offering uh, four streams of services, so occupational therapy, speech, positive behaviour support, um, and prosthetics, orthotics, and podiatry. Uh, And we've just kind of been offering it to the NDIS sector or people in the community who have a disability. And I think that the 2019 decision was probably the best decision um, of my professional career because even though I'm exhausted a lot of the time and there is a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of work, I, for the first time in my professional career, um, feel that I'm truly fulfilling my sense of purpose. I, I don't go to sleep thinking, oh, I could have used that hour in the day better because I'm giving it my all. And ultimately, the currency that I was speaking of is kind of delivering a return to me in that I, I feel that if I were to go tomorrow, I'm happy with my efforts. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you're not going to go tomorrow, but what a story. What a story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm thinking back to um, what you sort of said towards the end of that, that sometimes less is more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, unless you can guarantee quality outcomes uh, in in the effort that you're putting in, I mean, 
there's there's two sides to every every service delivery. So obviously there's the receiver of the service and and there's a person who's delivering it. So the person who's delivering it and their team are one. Uh, unless you have the processes, the supports, and the uh, I guess resources in place where you feel like your team, so the the people and the processes that you have control over, are doing everything that they should be and um, are focusing on the outcome, then you shouldn't really be offering that service. And I know I know a lot of people kind of try their hand at this and that, and that is the nature of entrepreneurship. But when it comes to people. And people, exactly, and and lives and and a vulnerable sector, um, you you should not you should not be testing the waters with with uh, any notion other than I've, I know that have the know how I have the resources I have the intention and I know that within my capacity I can deliver quality services. Now, if the receiving um, individual is not ready or is unable to kind of take on that service or apply it to their situation, well, that's a different story, but. Um, yeah, the less is definitely more. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way. Um, but I think when you learn it through practice, uh, it teaches you different layers of understanding where you can go and enhance the outcomes in different ways as opposed to if someone, a consultant came and told, or told you, hey, don't do this because X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the one of the core duties of a director is to take information and process it and make decisions on it. Mm-hmm. And not all of those decisions are comfortable or easy, but they're all going to be necessary. And so the environment informed you, your gut informed you, your experiences informed you. I'm sure your team and clients also informed you as well. And it takes a fair uh, dose of courage to be able to prune things away to the bare essentials and then do it well. Oh, absolutely. I think um, the decision, <laughs> I think having the realisation and admitting to myself was probably the a, a hard thing, but having to sit in a room with um, our human resource manager and deliver the news that we had decided to, um, you know, make certain positions redundant because we didn't think that we were delivering the best service that we could through those um, streams that was the, the the most traumatic experience, I think, of my professional life because essentially I, I would sit there and discuss that with the employee that we had to essentially make redundant. Um, they would start crying and then I would start crying and we'd have a five-minute break and then the next person would come in. So it absolutely takes a lot of, um, I think you have to be a humble person to be able to look the person in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I have to do this. So, yeah, it's... Not, not not easy at all. And you have to learn why you have to do it to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, and how to do it correctly. You know. Exactly, yeah. So you, you were finding your business essentially in 2.0 and then the Melbourne thing and the COVID thing happened. <laughs> I don't want to dwell on that because we've all got the scar tissue, especially us locals. Um, <laughs> how did you navigate those two years? Um, I'm. I mean, this is the stereotypical answer I think I'm really 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 lucky because I have a very very good team behind me um but in terms of how uh how we navigated it I think we were quite smart in the sense that uh again I have to go off on a little tangent and I'll tell you how we survived I think <laughs> the biggest the biggest difficulty for us was the mental health status of our clients and our staff. Because when the first lockdown happened, it was 
a little bit shocking. Nobody knew what was going on, but that factor of hope was still there because we didn't know how long this was going to go for. We didn't know what the implications were going to be. We just knew something was happening. Yes, there was the fear in the background, but we still had hope. They still had hope. Then as the sequences of the lockdown started to kind of play out, I think both the employees, our team members, as well as the clients, their mental health just declined so quickly, as did ours, everybody's did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you would have to not be human to not feel those feelings. But um, we were really smart in that we understood very, very early on uh, that connectivity happens from on-site presence, especially during crisis like this. Um, so we, we've we always had a, a clinic and an on-site um, kind of position to offer our team members. But at that point in time, as you know, with the social distancing rules, the, the office that we had wasn't big enough for the team of 12 therapists that we had at that point. Um, so what we did was we quickly acquired a building. We did some emergency renovations and essentially we offered the, the team um, the capacity to work from a huge and very empty office throughout the God knows how many months. Um, and I think although that uh, that made a huge difference as opposed to sitting in the, in the house, you know, working remotely, um, feeling kind of isolated, uh, over time still, you know, your capacity to operate to the same extent is affected because that factor of hope um, is reduced. Visual sightings of team members. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's honestly how we got through because I I know a lot of people um, just couldn't go on and and you know there was a lot of resignations in the sector and um and fair enough I mean you know it was a huge huge yeah. thing to go through as a society but that was one of the key factors that we acted quickly and we prioritized mental health because working in disability is already quite tough um, some days are incredibly challenging most days are incredibly rewarding but you, it is taxing unless you have a fueling station. And you have an area where you can go to debrief, uh, to ask for help, and also to see people and, you know, experience smiles in the same room. So, yeah, I think that really, really helped us. Wow, I haven't heard of a solution quite like that, but it makes, it it, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it, when you look back? <laughs> it's not obvious at the time, but I think, yeah, when you look back, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe that would have helped. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about your team now. Uh, yes. So my lovely team, we are, I think, very close to 60. Um, so we're made up of teams of allied health professionals, obviously. They do wonderful uh, direct therapy with our clients. Then we have intake coordinators. Um, so we have a lovely team of five of our intake coordinators who do all the processing and vetting and transfer of information around the clients and they're the forefront of our business. We also have um, our IT team. We also have our billing team and management, of course, who's there to support all the different teams and make sure the different components of the company are kind of turning the wheels, the cogwheels are turning well. Who uh, is in your leadership team, executive team? I don't quite know what you call it. Who's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so our executive team, uh, I'm just, I'm very visual. I'm just uh, visualising our org chart. So we have our lovely human resource manager who um, is a trainer, so a lot of leadership support from her. We also have our finance and operations manager. We have our IT manager. God, I love him. He's always on site and fixes everything in the blink of an eye. Um, we also have a quality and risk uh, manager who supports us in our policy procedures as well as, you know, ensuring compliance and quality. 
Um, and we have newly uh, promoted one of our team leaders to uh, become our allied health manager who is in charge of essentially clinical excellence and supporting the team leaders who then support the team members in the allied health team. Wow. So all of that has uh, landed in the last three or four years. Yeah, it's um, it's it, like I said before, it's almost like you're a chameleon, like you have to think and you have to constantly change and adapt to make sure that things are the best that they can be. Um, and as, as the years have gone on, and I think society, especially I guess in Victoria, um, our priorities and our expectations have changed quite a lot from both an internal and external perspective uh, of the company. So I think we've had to create architect and modify roles to meet the constant changing of, you know, environment and needs. In the allied health business world, it's harder than you think to stay on top of everything you need to do to run a business whilst being fully present for your team and clients. If you struggle with this, you're not alone. Pretty much everybody feels this way. Some days you feel like you're crossing a decent task off just to be reminded that you then have three new tasks to take at their place. The to-do list feels like it never ends. It can be overwhelming doing it all on your own, and that is why we took it upon ourselves to reach out to help you out. We have created our monthly masterclasses so that you can join and connect with others, learn bite-sized business skills, and best of all, walk away from our masterclass with tasks ticked off your list. We can guarantee that each session will provide you with at the very least five gems that you can take and put into action right there and then. And trust us, as soon as you hop off our short and sweet session, you will want to take immediate action because that is the effect that Kathy Love and these masterclasses have. Each masterclass tackles a topic that has been niggling in the back of your mind and has moved further and further down your list. However, the sooner you nip this in the bud, the sooner you will free up your time and see the results in your business. Ready to nip your business woes in the bud and start taking practical action to maximize your results this year? Join one of our monthly masterclasses today. When I say the word objectives and perseverance, what springs to mind? <laughs> perseverance. Perseverance, um, this is actually quite funny for me. Uh, so perseverance has one image in my mind and it's an image at 11 p.m. at, uh, I don't know, like a Friday night back in 2018. I'm sitting in front of a whiteboard and I'm literally uh, trying to organise support worker to client um, combination of options. <laughs> And I remember, I remember that distinct moment because for some reason that was such a difficult task for me. I might have been exhausted or, I don't know, just difficult, um, difficult task. But I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is the hardest thing ever. And, and you know, when you're at the end of your tether, I just thought to myself, yeah. am I doing the right thing? I mean, but I kept pushing because I thought if I don't do this, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be happy with the outcome of, of my path um, tomorrow. So perseverance for me means even if you're unsure, as long as you have a sense of purpose in something that you're doing, I think if you push through until the point where you're sure um, that you are using your time well or not, uh, that that is perseverance. And then objectives. Um, I guess objectives could mean many things for many people, but for me, again, it comes back down to the whole currency and the sense of purpose. So I think in anything you do, you have to have a really strong, very humble and um, value-based objective. Otherwise, really, there's no point in pursuing any path. So I know a lot of business um, business individuals, successful ones or new starters are listening to this podcast. So I think uh, this, is a, this is a point where I can share um, a couple of my learnings. I think 
if you're thinking about starting an allied health business or if you are struggling with a certain component of your allied health business, if you really kind of reflect back to your objectives and think humbly and and truthfully around why you're trying to do what you're doing, um, often you'll come to the the barrier that you're experiencing or or the reason behind the barrier. And if you adapt and adjust and uh, um, approach that, then I think you'll find that you're quite successful. Yeah. Are you a director that likes to set really specific measurable goals and go, 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 go and tick a box? Or are you a director that does a bit of that but also has the door open for opportunity and different organic opportunity? <laughs> I think, um, to be quite honest, I, I think I'm a bit of both. Yeah. I think that um, to be a successful director, you have to have communication processes and resources down pat. Otherwise, you're sitting at the top waiting for an outcome, um, you know, in the adjacent room, but you're not going to get to it because the person in the adjacent room who's expected to deliver it hasn't been given clear direction. Um, But in terms of opportunity and, you know, being quite laid back or or, um, being open to new things, I think, again, having learned after the last couple of years of COVID that unless you're willing to listen and adapt quickly and to things that, um, I guess, come up unexpectedly, you're never going to be able to continue on this journey. Uh, I think if you're too rigid, then you're stuck with the previous chapter and things are constantly changing, especially when you're dealing uh, with a human resource workforce and your, uh, I guess your tools or your service is to provide supports to other human beings. So we're all constantly individually changing and evolving. So as a director, you have to lead the way with that. Yeah, yeah, and... I um I guess it's about then communicating in a way that everybody is, I'll say, on the same page, but more than on the same page, that they're actually living and breathing it and get it, get the vibe of the thing. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up. Thank you, Kathy, for the prompt. <laughs> um, I think uh, to be able to get to that point, so, yes, communication is really important, direction is really important, um, but I think uh, partnership is very important and it starts from the moment someone walks in for an interview. Um, if you can't vet the person and their intentions and their values and their purpose um, to kind of be aligned with yours, then no matter, unfortunately, what you do in terms of training, in terms of support, in terms of delegation, you're you're going to struggle in terms of your communication and the outcome um, components. So if you if you're lucky enough to find people who want to be in your company and share your values and genuinely in their heart believe in the mission of the company, then even if you make slight errors in the communication strategies, they are going to support your message. They're going to kind of you can think of it as they'll carry that message or that intention along with you. Yeah, but that's part of their role as well, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I was reading your, as I said before we hit record, your website's terrific. It's really, really good. Like I just checked every page because I was engaged and clicking through and I was reading about your values and you've got a value there that I don't come across very often. It's the value of justice. Oh, you're just touching on all my favourite topics. (laughs) Thank you. There you go. And I'll read it. We're committed to fairness. Justice is the standard by which our individual conduct and the collective efforts are based and our services delivered. 
so beautiful. Um, what would you like to know about that? Why? Why we pick why, the value? Why did you select justice? Because I don't think I've ever seen it in values anywhere. Um, so again, with this one, I have to kind of dig deep into into my own um, <laughs> convoluted background. But take your time. Thank you so much. Um, so I think justice is really, really close to my heart. It's it's a it's a value that I try and live by on the daily because I've I've kind of been on both sides of justice. So I've experienced tremendous support and care, but I've also experienced the alternative um, as a person as well as as a professional in in different kind of um, environments. So um, it all starts with I guess. Uh, my childhood so my parents brought us over um, I wasn't born in Australia so we came over we migrated um, from Iran when I was seven Um, and that journey itself I think uh, this is going to sound very extreme so I'm not sure if it's going to actually get chopped out or not but the journey from leaving the country to arriving in our new home country it almost uh, it almost stole my childhood because we we had to essentially trek through a desert uh we had um a visa for the for the receiving country however as um i guess as citizens of iran we didn't have passports um just due to religious beliefs and um and the way that you know the government was running at that point in time so my dad um essentially uh, organized for us to trek through the desert meet some people on the other side and then fly over to Australia where we started our new life where we had equal opportunity, which has allowed me to become the person I am today. But for me, justice is, is an important thing to remember and it's it's on the walls at work and in my office and it's a constant reminder to myself every morning because if uh, he hadn't created that fairness, so the fairness of, you know, putting us at risk, of extreme risk, um, to, to be able to have the opportunity, a fair opportunity to pursue what we wanted to do, both as females, my, I, have a, I have a sister as well, so um, as females who could choose our own path and, and I guess the, the, the outcome of their life, but also as an individual who can choose their own faith and their own profession and, and so on. So I think that applies in, in different environments, um, especially in an environment or in a community sector where you know, we're dealing with people who have disabilities. Some of these people can't even speak for themselves and we're relying on their environment and, their, and the people who are there to support them to be able to be just and communicate their needs. And I think if that's on the wall and that's a value and people share that value and they're always thinking about it, then the outcome for the disadvantage is always is a happy one. What a story. Thank you so much for um, sharing. I visited around. Um, Did you? Okay, yes. And um, if I think about the words and I'm just instantly getting visuals, it's magnificent, but it's the most complicated country I've ever been in. That, that's very nicely put because it is, it's a majestic country. Oh, it has beautiful people. Culture is so rich, but the, and then there's, there's some shortcomings and, and people suffer because of that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's mixed feelings. But when did you, when did you visit? That's very cool. It was over 10 years ago. Oh, was it? No, it was not, probably almost exactly 10 years ago. Um, and yeah, you know, right from the moment we decided to go and how we planned the adventure and who with and um, oh, visas and 
I had to renew my stay visa while I was there. Wow. There's a whole story around that. Um, but the people we met were phenomenal, like <laughs> phenomenal. And as tourists, we were reasonably unusual, particularly in the places that we went. And people found us and had stories. And, wow. uh, and in, in a way that I've never seen in any other country. And when you have you know, very limited political knowledge about what it really is like there. You have a tiny bit of context for their stories and why they're approaching you and why they're asking about your lives and whether they can marry your daughter, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But the generosity was extraordinary. We ate in people's homes. People invited us into their workplaces and cafes and oh, we're, very, wow. we're quite trusting, um, open-minded travellers. And I think that really, I think that approach really enhanced our experience in Iran because we just went with the flow. We 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 were on a, a bit of a tour thing because the police, the authorities needed to know exactly where yeah. we were every single day and we were followed and checked and all the rest. And once you get your head around that and and so on and so forth, it was it was extraordinary. But so every day was complicated. Every single day was complicated. How long were you there for? I don't know. It was a few weeks. It was a, yeah, it was a few weeks. And then um, we digress, but it's it's good. My um, husband then had to fly into Europe for business, so I had another few days in Tehran, which is possibly one of my most favourite cities in the world. It's in the top few. So then just as a woman navigating Tehran on my own and wow. the portions I needed to put in place with where I was and who I was with. But once again, I met extraordinary people. Just extraordinary people, just in those few days in markets, in cafes, in stores, like amazing people as well. I'm so impressed that you you went over there because I think I think the people are really lovely. And I think if tourists um were not afraid perhaps to go over there, they're very, very inviting and they genuinely want to hear about you. They want to know what you do and what it's like. Yeah. Best storytellers in the world. <laughs> we like to talk. <laughs> And eat. So we were in a happy place. We were in a happy place. Fantastic. What was your favourite food? We ate a lot of chicken and rice and the Burberries, the little Uh, berries. Yeah. Um, We had a lot of the lamb in a pot. Is it Dizzy as well? Uh, But there were no standouts because for us it's not always the food but it's the context in which the food is shared. So if we were sitting on a rug in someone's backyard happy days. I can remember the rug in the backyard and the garden, but I can't remember the food. My husband will remember the food. So, but Uh some of the best things were in the markets and just stuff we came across and things people offered us from their stalls and all the rest of it. So it was good. It was good. It was good. But incredibly, um, it was a real whole body experience. Like you did you relax? I don't know. Did you learn? Yes, every single minute. Did you take every opportunity? We took most of the sensible ones. <laughs> were there places we probably shouldn't have been? Absolutely. Did people always know where we were? Not quite. Did my veil fall off? Every day, you know. <laughs> oh, Kathy, that's so cool. I'm very impressed. <laughs> we should get back to business, though, because I think um, the... Uh, I think we've promoted the tourism side of things. 
And I guess I guess what we can kind of draw from that is that it's okay to be frightened, but it's better to take risks and work within your fear as well. And I think that shows up in in business um, as well. Would you Would you agree? Absolutely. I think I think anything you do in business is about risk, um, but it's it's about mitigated and studied risk. So yeah, so some things are scary. Anything new is generally difficult to to kind of um, understand, to adapt to, and and very importantly implement to get other people to follow. But I think if you don't take risks again, and if you're not adaptable, then you're going to stay the same. You'll get stuck in the last chapter when the world is moving to new and better, wonderful things. And I think to keep things exciting and to keep that quality and, again, the excellence that you want to deliver in whatever service you're delivering, you have to, uh, you know, you have to seek change. That's, That's the whole basis of continuous improvement. So, I'd be the first to admit change is really difficult. I personally don't like change. I prefer to have, you know, routine comfort. I like to know what I'm doing. I like to be organized. But I think as a part of our role as leaders, you don't you don't have to be a director, you don't have to be a manager. But as a leader, um, I think you have to be welcoming and also seek change in times when something's just not working well or you know that, I don't know, a member in your team's not happy. So very, very important to be aware of change but also invite and look for it. Yeah, yeah, and manage with it and through it. Yes. I guess one of the innovations that you've um, kind of invited into the business is looking at providing group-based programs and um, the hub you've created around around that for your team and for your clients. How's how's that panning out? Oh, it's... (laughs) I think it's again one of the the best things that we've done, but also one of the one of the more difficult things. So, um, I'll tell you another story. So, since the inception of Tasha Care, um, we have moved four times, and it's all within the span of a kilometer in Northgate, <laughs> Melbourne. We we tend to just bloody love Northgate, but um, as our teams changed and our service offering has mm-hmm. changed and we've grown, um, we've kind of always prioritise the site is always so important because the environment that you're in kind of affects your mood but also affects the resources that you have and what you can do. It's almost like giving your therapist or your, or your workers or your team members limbs to be able to deliver the outcomes or the products that you want. Um, so this last move, and I promised the team that this is it, not moving again, um, was uh, finalised in actually April this year. We have a massive head office where uh, everybody has a designated spot, a designated seat or an office. And then downstairs we have purpose-built clinic rooms. So we have an awesome sensory room, for example, where people sometimes get stuck in there and I'm talking to team members. <laughs> they're going to be, if they're going missing, we always check the sensory room because everyone's mesmerised. Or we have, for example, um, a client kitchen for simulated kind of home environment because, again, in the disability sector, sometimes clients can't be seen in their natural environment, whether it's because of safety-related issues or because um, they don't have a home. Uh, so uh, I guess the innovation there is that we've tried to not only create the environments that people need to be able to achieve that excellence that we want from them as part of our values Um but also to have that, you know, resource offering in the in the office itself, in the fact that we don't, you know, we we recognize people by giving them their own space. So um, we don't do hot desking. That's just something that we don't like doing because we want people to feel valued enough to have their own space. Um, in terms of group therapy, we is sorry, is that what you also mentioned? 
group therapy um actually i have to i have some bad news about that uh we we tried to implement group therapy and we acquired a site uh, just around the corner from the current head office but then covid hit <laughs> and our beautiful site which was called the social um with our different group therapy kind of got shut down for over two years and we haven't been able to kind of build it back up again but in terms of innovation i, I guess if, if i were to expand on that i think um for us, innovation is important because, again, if you stay as you are, you will lose out in the sense that you don't move and grow with people and the community and the service requirements. But also um, you don't get the best of the best in terms of your team members. And yeah. uh, I think um, in the environment that we're in at the moment, Allied Health, NDIS, you know, private clinics, it's an incredibly uh, competitive sector um, and staffing is one of the most difficult things. So we talk about values and we talk about identifying who shares your values, then inviting them to your team. But that's an incredibly difficult kind of task when you open an ad for months and months and months and you get donuts um, and <laughs> your competitors are, you know, resorting to headhunting and, you know, stealing people from your team and the next person's team. And it's kind of created this vicious cycle of therapists or, you know, team members jumping from organisation to organisation, clients kind of having to, uh, deal or adapt to change and often that's a very traumatic experience so one thing that we did come up with uh, and I think this was probably not the best time to have that light bulb moment but during COVID we decided to do just like a mass international um, recruitment drive and that was before everybody else was starting to think about it because yeah, years ahead uh, yeah, and it was during the time where there was like that steel ring around Australia where nobody could come in or go out. Um, but we were really lucky because our, our legal team was uh, very, very experienced and very good at their job. And our recruitment partners um, internationally were really, really good in that they were bringing us fantastic level quality candidates. So that's how we that's how we overcame that barrier. Um, in terms of, I guess, current barrier in terms of staffing, because again, it's never it's never uh, the end of the story with that. You always have to have new things, new innovations, new techniques, new um, offerings to keep people motivated and engaged. Uh, so I think what we've done now is uh, instead of losing team members to uh, you know other organisations or um, you know, making them to, to make them feel like they truly are a part of the team uh, and integral to the outcomes of the, the company. We've started to, you know, provide shares to leadership members of the, of the team. And I think um, by sharing everything you have with these people who deliver everything you do, I think that's really kind of shown them that, you know, that what we say, we, we put our money where our mouth is essentially, you know, we're not in it to make our own pockets deeper um, as, as, as uncomfortable it is to talk about money. It's, it's really around the outcomes and it's really around having the best people and having those people stick around and showing them how you value them is, is always an innovative task. Yeah. And what you're speaking to there is um, outcomes for participants but also outcomes for your, your team as well. Exactly. I mean, I keep thinking to myself, imagine if someone came to me back in the days where I was um, crying while I was driving to the hospital and back and said, what, what do you want? You know, how would you like to grow as a clinician? Or would you like a chunk of this pie? Because I think you're grouse. Like I, I think if you ask yourself what would make you happy, often you can kind of, you know, start to resonate and come up with ideas that make people, other people kind of feel valued. 
Yeah. Time has flown by. I can't believe it. Uh, what do you think you'll get up to in the next couple of years? Oh, oh my gosh. This is the best question. So I've started uh, learning how to ride horses um, and I find myself, I'm actually on annual leave at the moment, and I've been getting up at 7 o'clock every single day, not because I have to, but because I want to, and I'm just out in the fields with the horses. So definitely would love to start competing. Um, but I'd also love to learn French, funnily enough. I want to, yeah, slow down on the on the business side and, and just work reasonable amounts of time and, and start to kind of work the other side of my brain, I think. Yeah, get some catch-up. <laughs> yes. And spend some time with my mum. <laughs> and ride your horses there. Yes. <laughs> that would be good. And on those couple of uh, days a week when you are thinking about the business, where do you where do you think um, Tasha Care is going to go in the next couple of years? Um, so Tasha Care, now that we have, we have our allied health manager appointed um, and she's doing a fabulous job in that role, our executive team is fully formed now. So what I always tell the team is the company's vision is to remain at a size where we know everybody else's name in the company and we have some form of relationship with each other. So I think we're going to stay the same in terms of sizing. We're, our head office is complete now. We are one sole location, so that's it. But I think over the next two years, our business plan and our focus is on making sure that we are delivering excellence and making sure that our clinical excellence as well as our you know policies our procedures and and the upholding of the integrity of the scheme the NDIS is something that we want to support the sector with because I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding or points of contention at the moment and I think uh, we need to shed some light around how lucky we actually are to be living in, in a beautiful country like this where people who are disadvantaged can access services and achieve those goals because in a lot of other places they can't. And I think every system has a barrier, but if you educate your colleagues and you know sector stakeholders, then that reduces the barriers you're feeling but also helps you know um, exhilarate the growth and betterment of the sector. So that, those are the things. I think for the company, I want my team to continue to deliver excellence and continue to grow and develop with new evidence that's coming out from all the different streams. But from a sector perspective, I'd really like to shift my focus, not just onto horses, but um, <laughs> onto being able to do some strategic work with stakeholders or the NDIS and, you know, LACs and support coordination companies, for example, to really increase their understanding around, you know, what the actual um, act is talking about around, you know, how to use the funding appropriately, but also what allied health services are really intended to be used for. I couldn't agree. I think uh, I want to give you, well, I, I know I want to give you the last moment because you mentioned before um, we started what your name means. <laughs> yes. Um, so my surname, Tasha Kaur. Uh, in Arabic actually means thank you. So I want to say a big tashakur to you, Kathy, for um, having interest in, in Tasha Care and myself and, and having me on this wonderful show. I've actually had a, a really, really good time. And if um, if I could come back, please, I'd love to come back anytime. <laughs> and Tasha Core to you for directing such a wholehearted company um, with amazing people and team at the center and clients sharing that uh, as well well done thank you so much thank you for your time 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.